You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Media business reporter Ken Auletta of The New Yorker goes on the record. We're living through a revolution, and, and revolutions are messy, and, 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 and we don't have rule books to follow uh, to know which way to put one foot in front of the other. And so there are going to be mistakes, there's going to be upsets, there's going to be panic, there's going to be uh, cries, um, and some things won't, will work and others won't. I mean, it's inevitable that if you want to call yourself a profession, as, as people who work for the New York Times or the New Yorker do, we call ourselves professionals, then the presumption is that, that we don't take a vote or do a market survey to, to help us judge what, what is news uh, or help us write a story. On the other hand, one of the, great ad, one of the great advantages of the Internet is that it does empower people to be able to talk back and have a conversation, not just listen or read what people from the New York Times and New York are telling them from, the, from our Olympian Heights. Now, that's a very valuable thing, and that's one of the reasons why the Times invested in about.com. It's a way to have a two-way conversation, in this case, particularly with younger people. And thanks for downloading another episode of On the Record Online. This is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. If this is your first time listening to the show, we do in-depth, one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as, from time to time, discussions with influential bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the media business as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, and I am the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. We help organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives uh, with new media, uh, search marketing, email marketing, uh, and other online uh, communications tools and services. I am also personally and professionally interested in how technology and the internet are changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Ken Auletta. He is the media business reporter at the New Yorker magazine. He is a brilliant guy. Um, appears frequently on Charlie Charlie Rose uh, to weigh in on media deals of the day, how they'll affect the people, and uh, general trends concerning the the business of media. Uh, So I hope you enjoyed. If you have suggestions, um, feedback, or comments, uh, two ways to get it to me. Um, First way is to post it to my blog, which is www.spinfluencer.com, or by sending me email. And you can send that to eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. If you are not a subscriber but would like to subscribe to the program, uh, the easiest place to get it is at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. And you'll be able to subscribe via iTunes, Yahoo, Feed Demon, and a number of other um, uh, uh, podcatchers there. Uh, A few dates that I want to mention, a couple of dates I want to mention... Uh, February 23rd, in just a couple of weeks, I will be doing the Executive Podcasting Workshop uh, here in Los Angeles. That is an intensive seminar for non-technical professionals to learn how to podcast uh, from a hands-on standpoint, a strategic standpoint, and a practical standpoint. Um, And on March 2nd, in Palo Alto, at the New Communications Forum, I will be moderating a panel called Beyond Print, 
podcasts and video blogging. Uh, that's going to be at 11.30 a.m., and it's going to be at the Sheraton in Palo Alto. Uh, for information or to register for either of those events, www.schwartzmanpr.com. Uh, again, apologies for all the different uh, domains. We're going to be consolidating them shortly, but until then, uh, this is uh, really the best way to get that information. Uh, one final note uh, I want to mention, uh, some of the upcoming guests that uh, we will be um, uh, featuring on the podcast shortly. Uh, we're doing an interview with Ivan Kane. He is a uh, nightclub promoter here in Los Angeles, very, very uh, successful one. Seems to have the art of uh, creating a cool destination down to a science. And so we talk, we're going to talk to him about the art of cool. And also um, blogger B.L. Ackman, who um, does the What's Next blog and uh, has consulted with a number of blue chip companies on blog marketing and word of mouth marketing uh, campaigns. Uh, we're going to be doing a, uh, uh, a podcast with her as well. We are also going to be doing Elizabeth Albrecht. She is uh, one of the chairs, uh, along with her partner Jen McClure, of the New Communications Forum and the New Communications Society. And we're going to talk to her a little bit about what to accept, uh, expect at the Newcom Forum uh, when that um, opens uh, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, uh, once again in Palo Alto. So now, without any further ado, we are going to play for you the interview with Ken Aletta. It's under 20 minutes. Uh, it is a very good interview. And uh, it comes to you, as always, uh, uninterrupted and unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Ken Aletta, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. I'd be curious to know, from your perspective, why is the newspaper business in such trouble right now? I mean, why is readership spiraling downward nationwide? Uh, there's no one reason. There are multiple reasons. Uh, one is what's happening to newspapers is also happening to magazines, is also happening to networks, is also happening broadcast networks or cable networks, uh, and happening to many media businesses. People have more choice, and technology has allowed that. And as they have more choice, their, their attention bifurcates. And so they spend less time reading newspapers or watching certain television stations or um, accessing certain information. It's just inevitable. And you just look at the impact of the Internet on reading. And also look at, at a second reason, which, which involves the Internet, which is younger people. Every survey I've ever seen says that younger people are not reading in the same, to the same degree as, as, as their parents did. So what's happened is that people are migrating away from reading newspapers and migrating particularly to gaining information online in shorter bursts. And, and that inevitably affects newspapers, as does what's happening to newspapers' revenue base. What's happened there is that, is that the, just look at classified and the impact of, say, Craigslist um, on classified. And, uh, the average newspaper gets a third of its revenue from classified advertising. That classified business is fleeing from newspapers, taking up much of it online. That's a big deal. And, and um, so newspapers are just having a harder time making a go of it financially. At the same time, in 
and this is the fourth reason, Wall Street says we're not happy with your profit margins. We don't see you as a growth business. We, we want to invest in growth businesses. So, so what's happened is that newspaper company stock, stocks have been hammered. It seems as though that the newspaper business is, is even in, in more dire straits than the magazine business because I can think of certain magazines that are doing quite well. Yeah, they are people in style, absolutely. So, uh, so maybe, maybe I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. So maybe uh, it's. I mean, is it hitting the newspaper business first? And if so, why? Well, it's hit certain magazines. I mean, the the advertising at at say Time or Newsweek is way down. More more down than it is say at the New York Times. Uh, so it's affecting everyone, and and circulation at Time and at magazines like Time and Newsweek and many other magazines are down. Um, it, overall, the newspaper circulation has dropped faster than magazine circulation has, and overall, it is fair to say that, that advertisers think that advertising in a magazine, which has a longer life than a newspaper, and has color and, and more vivid pictures, more, more vivid color, and better paper, that that's a better place to advertise. But, but magazines, like most old media, um, is is under assault today, and and it's inevitable when you have more choices. Just think about the many newspapers and, and online and magazine sources and television sources and information that, that that beset you every day. I mean, it's inevitable that you're going to be spending less time with certain certain media than you now do, and that's what people are feeling. So, w- with a um, a national daily publication like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, I mean, how do you think this is ultimately going to affect them? Uh, you know, we, we see obviously the Wall Street Journal is charging money for access to their content online. They seem to be quite successful with that, and uh, with the About dot com acquisition on the New York Times side, it appears as though they're really trying to segue into these new markets and you know generate revenue from them and. Do you think we're going to see the day when uh, the online media business is supporting the print business? Well, the, 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 obviously, they're all trying to to figure out some way to to find a new business model to gain revenue. Uh, the New York Times very smartly, in the mid '90s, started a national edition and aggressively put up, put money into it, and that national edition has allowed the Times to defy. What's happening to most every other newspaper in this country, which is losing circulation? The Times actually gained circulation since the mid '90s. It's lost it in a city like New York and the New York metropolitan area, but it's gained it nationally, in effect, by becoming a new newspaper like USA Today did. But the real, the, the fundamental question you're faced with, it seems to me, is that let's assume that that About.com turns out to be a good investment for the Times, or that what the News Corp of Murdoch has done with his investment online turns out to be good, or that the Wall Street Journal investment in WallStreetJournal.com, which is now one of the few subscription models that it's making money online, though it has other problems, because it is a subscription model, they have a limited amount of advertising they can sell, because they they can only sell to the number of eyeballs they have reaching, whereas the Times, NewYorkTimes.com can sell to a a much larger uh, potential audience. So... Having said that, the, the problem becomes the New York Times spends $200 million a year on news gathering. They have a newsroom staff around the world of 1,200 people. If you continue to lose, if, if over time the New York Times loses readership for its newspaper, 
that could be very encouraging in the sense that it's a lot cheaper to produce an online product than it is to, to print and distribute a newspaper. But the problem is, will you make enough money from the online edition to offset those costs, which are very steep? And that's one of the real questions out there. How do you support expensive journalism, which is a requirement to have good journalism? You need reporters in Baghdad. You need bureaus all over the world. That's for, you need copy editors. You need regular editors. You need artists. You need photographers. That's very expensive stuff. And, 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 and so far, we have not figured out yet a model online to generate the kind of monies that you generate in the print world. Now, admittedly, the print world is not going to die overnight. I mean, the New York Times still prints over a million copies a day. And, and, but at some point, the presumption is that, that newspapers will decline, will continue to decline in circulation as people go online for the information. And then the question is, will they be able to find a, an economic model to make money online? In November, uh, Salzberger appeared on Charlie Rose. And I'm going to read you a little excerpt from their conversation. Um, what, what, and this is a quote. Salzberger said, uh, quote, We have a robust advertising revenue coming in from the web, and it's growing at 30 to 40 percent. Uh, per year, and that's remarkable. But what we need also is to be able to establish other revenue sources if we're going to be able to support the cost of having a newsroom. To which Charlie Rose responds, and how fast are these online revenue sources going to come? And Salzberger says, well, 30-40%, he repeats that. But then he goes on, and this was really the gem. He says, uh, but it's going to be user-generated content as well, such as Time Select, we're going to have to move to a new place in this business. We're going to have to recognize that our old way of operating, which was for us to talk to you, is only half of the equation now. We have to give you the option to talk back to us, and more importantly, to talk to your peers. Now, given the Washington Post's recent response to their inability to moderate uh, comments on, on the blog being run by their ombudsman, I mean, do you think that organizations like the New York Times are going to be able to adapt to participating in these conversations. It's going to be tough. You know, we're going through, we're living through a revolution. And, and revolutions are messy. And, 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 and we don't have rule books to follow uh, to know which way to put one foot in front of the other. And so there are going to be mistakes. There's going to be upsets. There's going to be panic. There's going to be uh, cries. Um, and some things won't, will work and others won't. I mean, it's inevitable that if you want to call yourself a profession, as, as people who work for the New York Times or the New Yorker do, we call ourselves professionals, then the presumption is that, that we don't take a vote or do a market survey to, to help us judge what, what is news uh, or help us write a story. On the other hand, one of the great, ad, one of the great advantages of the Internet is that it does empower people to be able to talk back and have a conversation, not just listen or read what people from the New York Times and New York are telling them from, the, from our Olympian Heights. Now, that's a very valuable thing, and that's one of the reasons why the Times invested in about.com. It's a way to have a two-way conversation, in this case, particularly with younger people, and, and open up that conversation. That's a wonderful thing the Internet does. On the other hand, if, if by opening that up, what you do is you wind up uh, in, inviting people to blast you, you know, to blame you, and 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 insult you and scream at you and not have a conversation, that, then then it becomes problematic. 
but but you know it's we're going to you know it's better to err on the s- side of giving it a try to experiment than it is not to because if you don't experiment you're just dooming yourself to death it, it's it's the uh, as Salzberger recognized the internet is here and it's going to expand both business possibilities but also possibilities for for more democratic voice what do you think will be the fate of the 30-second commercial spot in a world where people can fast-forward and filter out ads? Is the traditional advertising business sustainable? I think it's, 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 it's as much in flux as is the newspaper or the magazine or the, or the broadcast business. I mean, inevitably. I mean, people with TiVo-like devices, with PVRs, you can skip those ads. And, and, and people also don't have that kind of attention span. Uh, you know, they're not, they're bored. They, people, one of the things the Internet has done, or has helped do, is that it has introduced a, a, um, a sensibility that says, I don't want to be huckstered. I don't want to be sold. And, and advertising that is heavy sell tends not to work. Couple that with your ability to skip the ads because of the technology you now have. And couple that with the, the changing nature of viewing, which is a pay-per-view world. Uh, increasingly, uh, it's very hard for advertising to sustain its old model, and so what they're trying to do is to do things like product placement or, or ads in places that are you're not used to, like movie theaters of the last ten years. But now you see a backlash against that too. You know, we go to a movie and you wait for a half hour to go through the ads and the promos for the next movies. You go crazy. You know, they say to be there at six thirty, and you get there at six thirty, and, and then you wait till seven fifteen for your movie to start. So, the, so there's a kind of rebellion that takes place among consumers. But so advertisers feel that heat, and they're, they're desperately trying to figure out new ways of, of, of communicating messages. So they go online, they, you know, they, they, they started with banner ads, and now they're into buzz marketing, and, and that's inevitable. So they are, they are experimenting uh, desperately to try and figure out a, a, a business model just as newspapers are. Well, it's it's not like the networks or the studios, really anybody, has a monopoly on creativity. So, I mean, what's to stop organizations from creating their own media properties and, and using that to, to reach audiences? I mean, what's to stop them from assembling the talent and the resources to create their own programs uh, or their well, own online news centers? I mean, is it conceivable we may be entering the age of corporate-generated media? Oh, you are. You're, you're already there. I mean, advertisers increasingly are buying a stake in programming um, because they're saying that's the only way I can control my message. So when someone drinks a, 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 a soda, I want it to be my, my soda in that sitcom or that movie. So we're back in a way that, you know, the wheel is turned. We're back to the 50s again. In the 50s, if you remember, you had the Colgate-Palmolive Hour. You had, you had sponsors who, who provided that entire hour. And, and you had people, you know, smoking cigarettes. You know, it's part of the sponsor, you know, with Philip Morris or something. Well, call for Philip Morris, is those ads in the 50s. But now, you, you're in a way back to that. You can't do cigarette advertising the way you could then, but nevertheless, advertisers are, are trying to get control of the product. The problem becomes that as your mass audience shrinks, people still want good production values. Good production values are very expensive. But that means you, people want a show that looks good. Desperate Housewives lost. They look good. They're good, what, quote, production values. But production values are very expensive. If you don't have a mass audience, 
and you got a you got many different people creating product. Is that product going to have those kind of production values that people want? And that's one of the big questions out there. There's a second question out there. You can produce good product, but then how are you going to distribute it? What's your distribution mechanism? You can make the argument that there are many more means of communication today than there were. You have satellite TV, you have broadcast, you have cable, you know, you have, uh, you know, increasingly you have wireless, I mean, you have the iPod taking show Lost and Desperate Housewives from ABC, so there are lots of different platforms. But, but potentially, those are gatekeepers in those platforms who are going to try and get extract a piece of your business if you want to be distributed on, on their wire or wireless pipe. And, and that's going to lead to all kinds of fights. And generally in those kind of fights, the, the people who win are people who have great content that people really want, or people who have a lot of money. In this instance here, I'm, I'm, we're doing a podcast. Uh, it's being heard by a niche audience. This podcast is heard mostly by people in the media, entertainment, and technology businesses. And in the past, we never would have been able to do this because I couldn't afford the satellite time. And, uh, you know, shipping tapes to everyone wouldn't have been practical. But now for the first time, it is practical. Uh, in the area of podcasting, we're seeing Whirlpool. They're doing a podcast about families and you know, trying to promote uh, their relationships with families because they sell appliances. Um, there are other companies out there that are doing their own productions to try to build relationships with their audiences through not advertising type content but you know what what they hope will be quality content that will be genuinely interesting to people so I guess I mean do you think that is a direction we may be moving in of course we're, we're already moving there there's no question about that I mean people are are but you see Whirlpool is a perfect example of that they're saying we don't believe in the 30 second spot anymore as a way of, of selling people on the value of our product how can we do it? And, and we know that people are very wary of the hard sell, of being hit over the head. So what do they do? They come up with, in effect, with the product placement. They sponsor shows, single sponsor shows, or they put their products in shows, or they, or they, um, they Whirlpool presents, whatever. But, but they're basically trying to create a halo around themselves and A, or B, sell themselves in a more subtle fashion than you're used to, and and everyone's doing that, and and um, uh, you know that's merely a reflection of what's happening in the advertising business, which is which is living through the disruption caused by technology. Well, as, you, as we all are. you mentioned something I want to follow up on. Um, obviously, there have been numerous reports suggesting that the public trusts the mainstream media less than ever before. And, you know, I, I always kind of use Saturday Night Live as a bellwether for, for uh, uh, popular opinion. They recently did a skit about a reporter for Cat Fancy Magazine uh, who got fired for falsifying stories. And uh, the other thing I noticed recently, actually, in the New York Times, that the Civilians Theater Troupe, which is a pretty well-known uh, off-Broadway theater troupe, uh, just opened a play called Nobody's Lunch that explores the growing mistrust in traditional news sources. So, I mean, is this a trend that will reverse? Is this a trend that will continue? And, and why are we seeing this? You, you don't ask small questions, do you? Uh, <laughs> I mean... There are so many, many reasons for why the media, why, according to the latest Pew poll, two thirds of the public doesn't trust the press, and there are 
among the many reasons for that. One is the confusion of who the press is. We all are. That is to say, if you're a reporter for the New York Times, you're lumped in together with the National Enquirer. You're lumped in together with the paparazzi. Uh, so that automatically, your bad numbers will go up when that happens. Secondly, um, inevitably, you know, magaz- the New York Times has a Jason Blair scandal. Or, or the weapons of ma- or misses the mass weapons of mass destruction story, as USA Today has the Jack Kelly, Jack Kelly plagiarist, and no, and those black guys contribute to, to, to a diminishment of trust. At the same time, there's a feeling when people watch the press, they they see we're sometimes too aggressive and rude at some of our press conferences. At the same time, you have people, politicians, attacking us as untrustworthy. You have Fox News blaring the leading the charge and saying the press is biased. So there is a, a there is now a widespread sense that the press is biased. Um, you know, you've got a post-Watergate cynicism that took place in the press, where the press came to think their role was to was to uh, be critical of government and maybe adopted too much of a cynical pose as opposed to the proper pose, which is a, a pose of skepticism. So all of those things and more contribute to a diminishment of, of the trust that, that the press has. Now, my own view is that when you look at this large elephant and you see all these many parts of the elephant, what's the part that we could do something about? One of the things we could do about it, we could be more professional and do a better job and be more open. There was no reason for CBS, for instance, after, after they made a mistake on, the, on, the, on 60 Minutes made this mistake, last year on, on Bush's National Guard duty saying they had documents which turned out to be maybe not documents, that, that CBS didn't have to wait 12 days to apologize. They should have done it right away. The New York Times didn't have to wait a year to admit that they were wrong about weapons of mass destruction in some of their reports. They could have done it sooner. And I think we've got to be, as we ask businesses to be, or government to be more transparent, we have to be more transparent and more humble and more willing to admit our mistakes. And that's the way you gain back respect. And one of the ways you do that is you have more press criticism, you have more ombudsmen, and, 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 which is a natural thing for press critics like me to say. On a final note, okay, partisanship aside, do you think the Bush administration has benefited from the public's distrust of the mainstream media? I do. Uh, I think the press, I, I think, first of all, what they do is they treat us as if we're a special interest. I mean, I did a piece a couple of years ago for The New Yorker on, on Bush's and how they, their relationship with the White House, and I, I was interviewing Andrew Card, who was the chief of staff to, to Bush, and I said, do you believe the press has a check and balance function, Mr. Card? And he said, no, you don't have a check and balance function. That's for the courts and the, and the Congress to have. You're, you're basically we're saying you're a special interest. Well, if you treat the press like a special interest, then you don't have to hold press conferences as often, and you don't have to answer their questions. And maybe sometimes you attack them. And, and, and maybe that makes the press, and I think it has at times, made the press too defensive and, and, and not questioning enough. I mean, Bush makes claims, you know, goes into campaign mode and makes claims about, uh, about for instance, why he's doing these wiretaps. And, and if the press asks aggressive questions, somehow the, it, it's cloaked and maybe you're being un, and unpatriotic. Well, I don't think we should shy from that. I mean, the, the law says one thing. The president seems to be doing something else. We have every reason to be asking him tough questions and not being shy about it. Ken, it has been a pleasure talking to you. 
Same here. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.